You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we look back at the Jets' win over San Jose, the loss to St. Louis... And if there's reason to worry about Blake Wheeler's slow start to the year. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Hope you guys are doing well, and I mean, why wouldn't you be? After a hell of a week for the Jets, three out of four points, some pretty damn solid play, and looking to close out the homestand strong heading into the weekend here, so we'll get right into it here. I mean, before we get to the game last night, a big win for the Jets 4-1 over the San Jose Sharks. Let's just go back quickly to earlier in the week, the divisional matchup against the Central Division leading Blues now. A tough loss in the shootout for the Jets. And and really, the reason I say quickly is eh, the Jets did everything they should have to win that game. They just got goalie. <laughs> Plain and simple. I, I love the way the Jets looked in that game. You play that game 10 times, you win it 9 out of 10. This was just the one that you couldn't grab the W. I mean, Bennington was fantastic. And really, just one kind of momentary lapse in the D zone. Uh, that's kind of the story. The Jets can win the skills competition. So all in all, a really, really good game against one of the hottest teams in the NHL back on Tuesday night. Now on Thursday night, wondering if that would transfer over. Well, right off the bat, it sure as hell didn't because the Jets were really, really overwhelmed to begin that hockey game. Hey, I mean, it's kind of funny to look back on it and see the shot clock and the eventual score, but, I mean, it was true. The first 10 minutes, I was like, holy crap, are the are the Sharks really going to take the Jets down three straight times in the same season? Because they were flying to start the game, and, I mean, they were doing a great job of pressuring the Jets defensemen, and, and Winnipeg couldn't get out of their own end, and that ultimately it culminates in a Brendan Dillon turnover on a pass to Kyle Connor because he was under so much pressure and then Brent Burns does Brent Burns things and makes a nice play to set up. Thankfully, the Sharks' only goal of the night, but 10 minutes in, it looked like it was going to be a bit of a nightmare for the Winnipeg Jets. But slowly and surely, the tide started to turn, and you saw Winnipeg do a lot better job of dealing with that San Jose forecheck, of being able to break out of their own zone cleanly. And then they were hemming in the Sharks time and time again, shift after shift, and then a great rush play by the number one line here at Winnipeg, the hottest line all season long. 
I mean, how cool has this been? This is one of this is one of the funnest stories we've had with the Jets in some time now. Because there was nobody in their right mind before the season that would have said, Hey, why don't we put Dubois, Connor, and Svechnikov together? Obviously. And now that we're 13 games in, everyone's saying, you can never break up Dubois, Connor, and Svechnikov. And, and that's your top line until somebody else steps up because they have just played so unbelievably well together. And even on that rush play there, it's a, it's a three-on-two that you draw up in practice, right? I mean, great recognition by Dubois to drive down the middle, taking the defenseman away with him. And then Sveshnikov shows some real nice patience and skill. Yeah, maybe a bit of a nice bounce, but a great pass to get it towards the net. And then Kyle Connor gets a tap in his, his easiest goal of the season so far. But the cool part of this line to me, in, in a way, and we've talked about, you know, throughout the the last few episodes about how great they've been together, how they shouldn't be pulled apart anytime soon, all, all that stuff. But what's interesting to me when you look at the three players, it, it really demonstrates what an organization needs to do to be successful. And, and each of them kind of, you know, check off a box in terms of how can teams and franchises and general managers earn their payday? Because you have Cal Connor. The draftee, the draft and develop player, somebody taken, you know, and again, some good luck happening there. Thank you, Boston. Hope you're enjoying Senshishin and Zaboral right now instead of Cal Connor and Matt Barzell. But finding success in the middle of the first round, which, you know, isn't as always as easy as a lot of people make it out to be. But to find that player, draft him, develop, watch him blossom. I mean, that's step one of any great organization. We know the Jets do that and, and have done that in spades for a number of years now. So the draft part, check. Then you move over to Pierre-Luc Dubois, enter the trade market. You can draft extremely well, but at some point you're going to have to get aggressive and bring players outside of your organization to fill holes on your roster. And the Dubois trade really illustrates that perfectly, doesn't it? And it might end up being a win-win for, for both teams, right? Like, Patrick Lining was great to start the season for Columbus. It's a shame that he ended up getting injured and, and will miss, you know, well over a month. But I, I don't know if either side's really complaining right now, right? Because Columbus gets Line and the hometown boy in Roslovic. And the Winnipeg Jets look like they have their 1A, 1B center of the future. Because Dubois has been... Out of this world to start the year. He's going to cost him a lot of money down the road. But that's a problem for future Winnipeg. Well, we'll take what we're getting right now. So you have drafting elite talent for the organization. Check. And then trade. Making aggressive moves to fill out the holes on the rest of your roster. Check. The final piece. You draft. You trade. And you got to somehow win in free agency. And this isn't necessarily... You know, July 1 free agency I'm talking about here. But, I mean, the Jets did sign Evgeny Svechnikov when every other team in the NHL had an opportunity to do so. So not, not the traditional free agent win, if you will. But in all honesty, the move that especially a market like Winnipeg should be making more often. A gamble they should be doing time and time again, in my opinion. And it's really the first time... They've targeted a player like Svechnikov, in my opinion, as opposed to, you know, no offense, but guys like Riley Nash, guys like Nate Thompson to fill out the bottom of their roster. You know, in, in my opinion, and I love when teams do this, and honestly, it, it works out more often than it doesn't, but targeting former first-round picks, 
not even necessarily, you know, former top five, top 10 picks, but just players that were drafted in the first round that for whatever reason couldn't stick with their original organization and then giving them second life with your team and, and maybe giving them an opportunity that they just never got with the team that drafted them. I, I think that's the way to go to build out the bottom of your roster because you're not necessarily asking players like that to be your franchise savior right out of the gate. It's just, hey, come in, you do you, play the kind of hockey that, that got you drafted in the first place. And if you live up to expectations, you might find yourself in a comfy spot sometime down the road. And man, oh man, is is that exactly what Evgeny Svechnikov's done here? I mean, he has clearly, clearly surpassed anybody's highest mark that they could have reasonably expected for him out of the season. I mean, look, if if, if he kind of turns into a pumpkin instead of Cinderella for the rest of the year, he's he's been worth the contract, right? Like, for almost a quarter of the season, he's played at a top six level. So, you know, even right now, he's given the Jets more than they could have asked for. But it's just wild to me to think that a guy signed for basically nothing near the start of training camp may, you know, maybe not as or more impactful, but but certainly in the conversation might have as much impact as the Nate Schmidt and Brandon Dillon trades made by Kevin Chevalier because now the Jets can roll three forward lines. Now they have depth. Now they don't have to load up the top six and have a bottom six that struggles to score you know, the plan is at least that your top nine is going to be tough to match up against night in, night out, and completely under the radar, but Evgeny Svechnikov might have one hell of an impact if he keeps his play up by the time this season comes to a close. So, just a different way to look at it. And I'll tell you what, too, with Svechnikov, you know, with how well Andrew Kopp's playing and the highly unlikelihood that he is able to resign in Winnipeg unless a bunch of salary is moved out, you know, you're going to have to find an Andrew Kopp replacement. And while Svechnikov doesn't play the exact same style as Andrew Kopp does, I mean, if he's going to put up potentially 40-some-odd points, I think that's a, a, a pretty good ceiling we can give Svechnikov right now, maybe it'll end up being more. But if he can give you something around a half a point a game... At least you can have somewhat of an in-house replacement for Andrew Kopp. And then maybe Cole Perfetti comes in too next year and fills in some of that void. So getting a bit ahead of myself with this macro stuff on a micro level, a great play to open up the scoring for Winnipeg by Sveshnikov and an absolutely unbelievable start to the season for both himself and that line. And that goal really seemed to kickstart the Jets the rest of the way. I mean, they were borderline flawless for the final 40 minutes of the game really took control of the shot clock from that point on spent most of the time inside san jose's end and you got some scoring from some unlikely sources nate schmidt gets his first as a winnipeg jet man nate schmidt's a beauty he's been great on the ice him and morrissey have been stellar basically right from the puck drop of the first game of the year but he is just so much fun like he he must be an absolute blast every single second inside that locker room and i think that was missing for the Jets, it seemed like they needed a little bit more joy in Joyland, if you will. And Nate Schmitz brought that. So great to see him get on the board. And then Jansen Harkins gets one off a pass from his new line mate in Adam Lowry. And that kind of takes us into the, you know, big subplot of the second half of the game. And, and really sets up for, for some intrigue moving ahead into the game Saturday against LA. And then the, the homestand finale against Edmonton on Tuesday. Because we saw... Finally, Paul Maurice 
go to the line blender and juggled up the lines a little bit. Thankfully, no need to press the alarm bells. Dubois, Connor, Sveshnikov stay together again. But if you've listened to the podcast, maybe Paul Maurice is a listener. He's definitely not a listener. But you know that I've been pushing the fact that I would like to see Shifley, Wheeler, Lowry broken up and have Nikolai Ehlers move up on that line. And then Adam Lowry slotted into his more usual spot on the team's third line. And that's exactly what we saw there. And hey, it paid off not from Ehlers jumping up beside Shifley and Wheeler, but Lowry making a hell of a play. Setting up Jansen Harkins for another tap in there. Look, you know, I'm going to agree with what Paul Maurice did there because that's that's what I've been saying for a few games now. But I, I just didn't see Shifley, Wheeler, Lowry work whatsoever. I, I don't think Adam Lowry was also comfortable out there on the wing. I, I think he's going to be a lot better, a lot more impactful down the middle as well. So we saw Adam Lowry, Andrew Kopp, and Jansen Harkins as the team's third line. Now, what's interesting is Paul Stasny unavailable for the game out due to injury. Let's say he does come back against Los Angeles on Saturday night. I mean, the easy move would be Lowry, Stasny, Cop, And I, I wouldn't have a problem with that whatsoever. Then you have uh, some combination of Harkins, Veselin, and Toninato, Riley Nash as, as your fourth line. I, I imagine that's what Paul Maurice does. But what if you kept Lowry, Cop, Harkins together as your third line? What if you put Paul Stasny as your fourth line center, right? We, I mean, we've been asking for that. I think a lot of Jets fans have been asking for that since Paul Stasny was reacquired by the team to go down the middle, Shafley, Dubois, Lowry, and Stasny. You kind of have the opportunity now, don't you? And I it's also a way for you to kind of ease Paul Stasny back into the lineup. You don't have to play him, you know, 14, 15 minutes a night. And you'll give him a couple of good wingers, I think, in, in Christian Veselainen and Dominic Toninato. And I thought Veselainen had a, a really, really solid game against San Jose. So we'll, we'll see what happens at the bottom six there. You know, my bet is that Stasny overtakes Harkins and we get some mishmash on the fourth line. But I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, a fourth line centered by Paul Stasny because I can't imagine there are too many, uh, <laughs> too many better fourth lines than what the Winnipeg Jets could potentially put out there. Now, let's get to the big move here. Well, we'll get to the big move, the Shifley, Ehlers, Wheeler line in just a second because we do have to talk about struggles out of one, two, maybe all three of those guys. And if there's cause for concern, we'll get to that in just a sec. But I want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. That's right. A big chance for you guys to make some easy money here because DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NHL, They've got you an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and you win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. You don't need to pick the winner, just have a team score. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet though, don't remember DraftKings has big time cash prizes all season long with their daily fantasy sports contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, 
Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So we finally got to see about a period and a half of Mark Shifley with Nikolai Ehlers and Blake Wheeler as a line together. We'll see if it means Nikolai Ehlers cracks 20 minutes a night consistently here. But it's interesting because, and, and not a lot of people would have expected this, I think, obviously, but it's a trio of struggling players right now. You know, they haven't, we haven't seen the best out of either one of them, I think, so far this season. Maybe sans Nikolai Ehlers in the last minute of that Anaheim Ducks game, right? But, you know, specifically with Ehlers first, it's, and it's not like he's been bad or anything like that, but I, I think we've just been kind of waiting for a little more impact every time he steps out there on the ice. I mean, he's still got eight points in 12 games, so it's not like he's playing poorly, but I think there's still a lot more the Jets could get out of Nick Ehlers on a night-to-night basis, which is great. A lot of room to grow for the team if Ehlers starts to get hot. And, and the same goes for, for Mark Shifley. No points in his last four games. No goals. On the season so far for him in, in six contests. I know everybody makes a big deal out of that. But, I mean, we see guys all the time throughout the course of a season go through goal droughts. So, I, I'm not too worried whatsoever about Shifley's game. As long as he's not battling through some kind of an injury or anything like that. But, the one thing I would say with him is I, I would just like to see him shoot the puck more. I'm sure Paul Maurice is, is telling him that right now. But, he's got one of the best releases in the entire NHL. I would just like to see him get out there and use it a bit more. And, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a goal, right? But his shot is so deadly that it would lead to second and third chance opportunities for his line mates on top of that. I, I'm not, again, not overly concerned about Mark Shifley. I think the goals and the points are about to come and, and maybe come sooner than later. I think there's also a bit of trying to force the issue a bit too much with Mark Shifley, right? You, you know you're you're struggling in the point department. You want to produce. You're trying to press the issue a little bit. I, I think maybe just a bounce here or there would, would go a long ways in getting Mark Shifley back on track. Plus, I mean, he does have, what, three, four, five straight seasons of point-per-game hockey. I think he's going to be just fine. The one guy, though, that I know a lot of people are talking about, and there's a pretty simple reason for it, about are these struggles for real, temporary, permanent, what's going on? The play of Captain Blake Wheeler through his first seven games so far this season. Three points. Again, all assists like Mark Shifley. No goals so far in the season for Blake Wheeler. A ton of chances in the San Jose game to get off the schneid. A few nice saves by James Reimer. But I think, you know, Craig Button made a good point in the intermission. Looked like he was trying to just place it instead of ripping it on that one two-on-one chance he had. With, with Mark Shifley in the second period, I believe, right? Like, it's just little things like that that you would like to see your top-end players bear down on a little bit more. But obviously, with the age of, of Blake Wheeler right now, and I guess the contract too, but more importantly, the age, 35 years old, anytime there's a drought or some struggles, people are going to ask the question, is this the end of Blake Wheeler as a high-end player? Is this the end of him as a... A top line or a top six guy? Is he better suited? And I've seen this all year long. He's best suited to be on this team's third line right now. He's a third line winger and he doesn't deserve to have consistent top six minutes. That's been a common refrain from a number of Jets fans over the course of this start of the season. 
And it's interesting, too, because last year, obviously everybody remembers the extremely slow start to the year that Blake Wheeler had. Look, it was a billion times worse than what we're seeing right now. Obviously, the injury, I think it was broken ribs, right? Obviously, the injury, I mean, Blake Wheeler shouldn't have been playing in pretty much any of those games. It was it was ridiculous that he was in the lineup on a nightly basis. But we saw him get past that slow start and, and really start to pick up speed. And, and by the end of the year, got his point totals back up to a, a much more respectable number. Play driving still a bit of an issue, but at least offensively, the production was there for Blake Wheeler by the time the regular season ran down. So can we expect that again this year? Or are these struggles here to stay? And maybe this is the guy that the Winnipeg Jets are going to be getting for the next couple of seasons. I would Chikai Chikai on the Blake Wheeler is done train just yet. And look, he's not going to be the 90 plus point player he was in his prime. He's he's probably not even going to be a point of game guy moving forward. And, and maybe 70 points is a bit of a reach for him. Maybe. I, I mean, I think more realistically, we're talking about a 60 to 70 point player but he's clearly not going to be an 80-plus point guy anytime soon. And I think it's fair to say, too, that he's he's lost a step. The speed isn't what it was when he was in his prime a few seasons ago. But if he's falling off a cliff, the numbers aren't showing it right now. And that's kind of the main thing. The production isn't there for him. There's no doubt about that. But while his play driving has taken a hit in recent years, and whether you're a fan of this or not... The Corsi battle, the expected goals battle, all that. It has not been good for Blake Wheeler 5-on-5 five five the previous couple of seasons. But he's been outstanding so far this year in that department. He's among the team leaders right there with potential all-star Evgeny Svechnikov. Uh, but he's right there with the Svechnikovs, the Dubois, and Andrew Kopp in terms of shot share, in terms of pushing play in the right direction. I mean, he's been really, really good in that department so far this year. So surprising to me because when you watch him out there, you're, you are kind of wanting a bit more and, and you're wondering, oh, is he really impacting the game as much as we're accustomed to seeing with Blake Wheeler? But the numbers have been surprisingly good. Uh, you, you can't ignore that. And if the game against San Jose was any indication, the chances are coming as well. It's just a matter of time before I think the puck starts to go in the net. Plus, he's only got one power play point on the season through six games. Once he starts to get rolling there, I think that's really the most damage we're going to see Blake Wheeler do this season is on the man advantage. And I think you have to give a bit of a leeway, too, because we don't know the ramifications of that positive COVID test. I mean, mild symptoms, it sounded like, but COVID affects different people in different ways. Hopefully, he's going to get over that hump just fine. But all in all, when you look at the first six games of the season for Blake Wheeler, to me, it's nowhere near as worrisome as what we saw last year, where it looked like a player completely about to fall off the cliff. He's not going to be the 80-point guy, the 90-point guy that we have seen in the past, but I think he can still be a solid second-line right wing for this team. And I think we'll see Shifley, Ehlers, and Wheeler maybe kickstart each other and give some competition to find out who the best line here is in Winnipeg with how good Dubois, Connor, and Svechnikov have been so far this season. One final thing I do want to bring up before we look ahead to what's on tap for the Jets' schedule Saturday and then Tuesday. One thing I noticed in the game, you know, Logan Stanley has had 
I would say an up and down start to the season is is fair. There's there's been some good. There's been some bad. I, I don't know if he's taken the leap that a lot of people would have liked him to. But all in all, I think it's been pretty solid for Logan Stanley so far this season. But one thing I've kind of been watching, and I, I noticed it early in the year, and I, I wanted to hold off just to see if it was a blip or a trend in terms of how he's improved his game. But I wanted to see what kind of improvements Logan Stanley would make this year. Would he get more comfortable with the puck? Would he try to assert himself more physically? Could he maybe you know, become a guy that isn't just a good shelter defenseman, but a good defenseman and maybe somebody that could play higher up in the lineup in the near future? Uh, but one thing I've noticed, a really, really optimistic trend in his game so far this year is that the offensive component of Logan Stanley's game is miles ahead of where it was last year. The points don't necessarily dictate that, but there's a lot more complexity to what Logan Stanley does once he has the puck in his stick of the offensive zone. Because if you look at any of those heat maps that you see on Twitter or anything like that, Logan Stanley in his rookie year, there would be a red magma spot at the left corner of the blue line where he would get the puck and just fire it on net at free will, not even looking, not even attempting to pass or anything like that. It's puck at point on my stick, shoot towards the net at 150 miles an hour. And sometimes it worked out pretty good. Ask Carey Price. But there wasn't really a whole lot of offensive creation, if you will, right? There was a lot of point shots there, and, and they would get towards the net, which is good. But there, were, there wasn't a lot of offensive production that came because of that. And so I, I would just wonder if, you know, Logan Stanley was going to be, you know, as a Flyers fan, kind of like a Radko Gudis. He gets the puck and just fires it towards the net and whatever happens, happens. Or, or could there be a little more creativity in his game? And I think he's taken major leaps in that so far this season. And, and the game against San Jose was a great indicator of that. Because yes, he did have a couple of booming slap shots from the point, and some that gave James Reimer trouble. He's always going to have that in his toolbox. But there was a great slap pass that he made at the corner of the net to one of the Jets forwards. There was a couple times where it was a shot fake. And then he skates it down around the boards, trying to look for a player open out in front of the net. And then even trying to find a cross-ice pass as well. Not to his defenseman, but to a forward on the opposite wall. Little things like that. I mean, it's not going to show up in the score sheet dramatically. He's not going to be, you know, a 30-40 point defenseman overnight. But it makes the team better. And it makes Logan Stanley a better all-around defenseman. And somebody that maybe a year or two down the road could be entrusted with playing second pair minutes. So the little thing that I've noticed, maybe you can keep an eye on it if you see uh, him on the ice in the next game against the Kings. But at the very least there does seem to be a bit of progression in Logan Stanley's game in the offensive zone, which is a great thing. Might need to shore some things up in the defensive end, but but all in all, a pretty solid start to the season for Big Stan, so that's great to see. And we'll see what Big Stan has on tap, if he can maybe pick up his first goal of the season in the next home game for the Jets. Two more to close out the homestand. The first one coming up Saturday night against the LA Kings, and then the finale comes against the Edmonton Oilers, the red-hot Edmonton Oilers on Tuesday night. Actually, you know, the Oilers are red-hot, but maybe the hottest team in the NHL right now is actually the Kings. <laughs> the Kings coming into town Saturday night, all of a sudden, you know, it's a bit of a tough matchup for the Jets. And dare I say, is the Pacific Division nasty this year? 
right? Like San Jose came in. They've beaten the Jets two times already. Gave Winnipeg a bit of a, a tough start in this one, but they've been off to a great start. We've seen Calgary look amazing. Edmonton looks outstanding as well. And Vegas is looking up at a lot of teams right now. Once they get healthy, the division's going to be an absolute dogfight all the way to the end of the season. But I was a little taken aback by that to see that the Kings have won seven straight games. So the game in Los Angeles, you know, Eric Comrie, I don't want to say stole two points for the Jets, but he was a big, big part in, in limiting the damage for sure. So it's not like this is going to be the cakewalk a lot of people might have thought before the season started. Be very intrigued to see how the Jets try to penetrate what is all of a sudden a, a pretty staunch defense group out there in L.A., they haven't given up three goals in almost a month. And that was when the Jets picked up that win in Los Angeles, the 3-2 victory back at the end of October. So a tough test Saturday night, no doubt. Still not as big of a mountain to climb for the Jets as the finale on Tuesday night against the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, the most exciting team in hockey, no doubt, to start the season. And obviously, the big part of that is Connor McDavid is a god on skates and is superhuman. And really should be illegal. <laughs> he, he, just, he does things that aren't supposed to happen. At speeds that aren't supposed to happen at the NHL level. And oh look, Leon Dreisaitl's actually outproducing him. He's got two more points than Connor McDavid this season. So that is going to be a fascinating matchup to watch. The one thing I would like to see right out of the gate is, is Connor McDavid going to draw any penalties against the Jets this time around? But I wonder if there's a bit of added motivation for the Oilers in this one, the first of a back-to-back -back against the Jets, actually. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the uh, the Oilers and McDavid and Dreisaitl haven't forgotten about the sweep that happened and maybe would like a bit of payback in that one. So we'll see if the Jets are able to slow down 97-29. and 29. It's going to take all five guys. Everybody always asks, how do you slow down Connor McDavid? I mean, Boston did a decent job. <laughs> he, he got one point. That's a great night if you're the opposing team keeping Connor McDavid to one point. But it took Patrice Bert, maybe the greatest defensive center of all time, and, and Charlie McAvoy, one of the great defensemen in the game today, and Brad Marchand, one of the great defensive wingers. It just took those three to be out on the ice every time against McDavid to hold him to a point. It, it's really, really difficult. And it's a cliche for sure, but it really does take all five guys out there. You have to be so defensively conscious and aware and make sure that there's very, very little in terms of slip-ups and mistakes. Because if there is one, he's going to make you pay. So we'll see if the Jets can replicate their playoff success against Conor McDavid in the game on Tuesday. And we'll actually break that one down for our next episode. That's going to do it for us here today. Instead of being back on Tuesday, we'll come back on Wednesday to give you some immediate reaction to the Jets-Oilers game, the homestand finale. And then we'll be back on Friday, breaking down another Jets-Oilers game, the rematch in Edmonton on Thursday. Until then, though, enjoy your weekend, everybody. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki. Peace.